Good morning, Gateway. How are you guys doing? Well, guess what, guys? We are actually at the last message, the last week in our series. Visitors, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've entitled this series, Who Do You Think You Are? And we're looking through the early life of the church and through the book of, book of Acts that Luke records for us. And, you know, I love going through this series, but it posed a bit of a challenge as well, too, uh, because we covered large sections of Scripture in every single week. And today it feels like I'm really, it's an easy job because I only have one chapter to talk about. It doesn't seem as if there's a lot to say. But if you've been tracking along and you know a little bit about the story, especially about how it ends, it kind of ends strangely. But I'm going to talk about that a little bit, okay? We would love your feedback on how you thought we did for this series. Let Ed know. I'll ask that you be as critical as you could possibly be, but be kind as well, okay? You guys ever find or see trouble coming at you? For some of you that don't know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And despite the clean look, I grew up in the hood, okay? And it seemed to me, at least as a little kid, that I could not get out of trouble. I found myself in more fights, minding my own business, than anything else, okay? I was a fast guy, but because, because of the projects, you had to be fast. If I saw trouble coming, I made sure I could run for the hills. And if I couldn't, sometimes I had to fight my way through. I find it interesting because now that I'm a father, I look at my kids and I see how they look at trouble. Now, if trouble were a train, my kids respond to it very, very differently. My oldest, Amanda, if she saw the train coming, she'd stand at the track and say, ooh, look at the pretty lights. And then <laughs> we would have to go and get her. Allie, on the other hand, if she's playing and she even hears the hint that train called trouble, she's running for the hills. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's life. And Paul saw trouble coming but had no other choice but to deal with it head on. Let me give you a little bit of background. Pastor Ed, last week, he teed us up for a high adventure on the seas. He talked about how Paul had to go on a trip, and that trip didn't go well, and he knew it. But let me share with you what he says before taking this trip, and then we'll get into our passage. Knowing that he had to be on board this ship to go to Rome, because that was his final destination, they had a hard time getting just to a, a small port. And so when he realized, he sees that trouble's coming. He says to the captain and to the, to the soldier that was in charge of him, he says, look, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was a day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion and the, and the uh, owner of the ship, they completely ignored Paul and they advised that they move on. Well, they went on and not long into the journey, things started to go really, really badly. Okay? Three days in, they were getting tossed back and forth by the storm. The third day forward, clouds and storms, they could not see the skies, the sun, or the stars. Now, when you're at sea, you're losing your bearing, you look to the skies to help to give you a, a good idea as to where you are. They didn't even have that. And this went on for two weeks. Two weeks they were battered and bruised. They were throwing cargo overboard. They thought for sure that their lives were going to end. Paul, funny enough, was patiently sitting 
and allowing all of this to go, and then says this. Look, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being lost. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. There's no big I told you so than that. But they made it through because they wanted to abandon the ship, but Paul encouraged them, look, God spoke to me, we're going to be okay, but you've got to stay on this ship. They took a brutal beating, but they made their way to land, okay? They made their way to land. Now, let me read from you 11 verses from chapter 28, so we'll just jump right on in, okay? Once safely ashore, once they got to uh, this island, once safely ashore, we found that the island we, uh, was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as, as he put on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hand on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies as we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island, and it was an Alexandrian ship and the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, from this passage, we see three simple things. We see the providence of God, we see the protection of God, and we see the provision of God. Now, the providence of God is very, very clear, I think, in this. Because when these guys were out to sea and there was no star, for, they did not know where they were going. But yet God got them to the, on the island of Malta. Now, the island of Malta, believe it or not, shipwreck and all, it actually kept them right on course. While they didn't know where they were, they were getting beat up and battered around on, at the sea. They didn't know where they were, but they thought that they would have been completely lost and way off course. But miraculously, God brought them right where they needed to be. The providence of God is clear and sure in that. And not only did they stay on course, not a single soul was lost. 276 people, and not a single soul was lost. Okay? Now we clearly see that the same 276 people that were protected, that's a protection of God. We also see what God is doing for Paul. Paul gets bitten by a venomous snake, and all he does is shake it off, okay? Now, remember, the reason Paul is being protected is because of a promise that God made to him some time ago. He had to go to Rome because there he was going to testify for Jesus, okay? So Paul, if anybody had to be alive or um, uh, endure this trip, Paul had to be the one, okay? Now, Let's take a look at the provision of God. The provision of God is actually found in the very name of the island. Most people don't realize, but the ancient name of Malta means refuge. What better place for them to find themselves after being battered back and forth on a ship 
for two weeks, but then they come to the island of refuge. Where, they, by the way, islanders that they did not know show them, as the scripture says, unusual kindness. They provided for everything for all 276 of these men. Now, I don't know if any one of you have ever gone on a trip and just didn't know on the road where you were. I've been into some shady places, and I know I would not necessarily ask for help from some of the people that I've seen in certain places. But these guys, not knowing who they are and where they came from, they did not show any signs of anything other than malevolence. They wanted to get, get, get these guys taken care of. But the islanders benefited from it as well, too. The islanders had sick, and when they realized that Paul was some kind of special person, they thought he was a god, but notice that Luke did not speak to Paul correcting that idea. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. The provision that God made for them was the healing that Paul had given them. The father-in-law of the, the rule of the island, he was healed, and then everybody who had sick brought them to Paul for healing as well, too. Now, I'm going to go quickly through this, this chapter because the punchline is actually at the end. Okay? Now, we talked about providence of God, the protection of God, and the provision of God. Now, when you look through the story, after they left the island, Luke records for us how they made it to, they basically made it to Rome. Okay? But for Paul to make it to Rome, again, it's the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to him. And Paul found encouragement because as he was approaching Rome, he found believers there that came and spoke with him, fellowship with him, and he had this, this wonderful time of fellowship which re-encouraged his heart. Because as Ed pointed out to us, when he got to Rome, Paul already knew that it wasn't probably going to end very well. Okay? But here the, the priority of God. See, Paul wasn't in Rome very long until when he was just there three days. And then he started to gather the local Jewish people. He called them to himself. Because wherever Paul went, he looked for the Jews first and then started to spread the gospel. Now keep in mind, he was under arrest. And yet he was allowed to do all of this. Just to make a long story short, Paul gathers the Jews. He shares with them his plight and the message. And there was a dispute among them. They didn't quite know what to make of it. And Paul, possibly being fed up with how they were always noncommittal, he makes this statement in verse 26. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, he says to them, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding, You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This is Paul's statement at the end. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now listen to the way in which Luke ends the chapter. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. See, I don't know about you, but there's, no, there's blank pages at the end of that for me in my Bible. And there's nothing else. You, you would want that there be more. 
You, you mean to tell me that the great Apostle Paul, after surviving this shipwreck, after everything that he went through, this is 30 years worth of ministry for Paul, and it just ends with him just proclaiming Christ boldly in jail and nothing else? Did he make it to Caesar? Was he able to affect change in the Roman Empire? Not really. And you would want to know more detail. But see, this was done on purpose. This was Luke's purpose. It was not to entertain or to give you all the details because we're people of faith. And as people of faith, we don't need to get all the details. We need to get enough to get us going. Okay? So let's remind ourselves of why Luke took this task on in the first place. Turn, if you will, to Luke 1. If you have your Bibles with you, there's nothing on the screen, so you're going to just have to follow along with me. Okay, Luke 1. This is the purpose for Luke writing the book of Acts, as well as the book of Luke. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. If you guys don't know, every word in the Bible, every author who's penned it, they did not do this for our entertainment. They did this for one purpose, to teach us and to get us going. Paul says it a different way, okay? The last letter that we know that Paul wrote in his life, 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture, which Luke and Acts is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, and here's a punchline, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we look at the life of Paul, we're not looking for an ongoing drama that has a, a great cliffhanger. As you can see, Luke ended this, it was completely anticlimactic, right? There was no stars and stripes and blazing stories of glory, nothing like that. It's because that's not what he wanted. He didn't want us to get enthralled with the story. He wanted us to see the story as an example, an example for how we ought to live our lives. And so when we're looking at this, we have to remember that our job in this is to see what we can glean. Because, like Alex said, we are building a building, okay? We are building a building, but we are part of a building pro program that has been going on for the better part of two millennia. It's God's kingdom. The building that we are looking to build is just a, a post for people to know who he is. Okay? So when we look at this, we have to make sure we understand what it is asking us to do. If you guys have heard me a couple of times, you know I like to use mundane examples to help to bring out a spiritual point. And one example I'd like to use is one of our family. One of the things that uh, myself and Althea did early on in the girls' lives was we created this thing called the Family Forum. The Family Forum was designed to help us learn how to communicate and talk with each other better. Okay? And the rules of the Family Forum was each person had to be able to sit and listen about how we interacted with other people. And the rules, are the, the rules were, 
if it were me, I could not defend myself. I had to hear the individuals who had anything against me. Okay? So, this one particular time, young Allie had an opportunity to talk. I had gone, Alfie had gone, Amanda had gone, and it was her. And once she had the floor, she immediately began to cry. And of course, we're looking and trying to figure out what's going on. And so I asked, what's, what's wrong? She says, well, I don't think you guys understand me. And I'm sitting thinking, the spiritual response is, why did I have to get this one? Because Alfie and Amanda looked at me and said, you're on your own, buddy, right? So... I had to work with Allie to help get an understanding as to what was going on. So her big, biggest thing was she didn't feel that we as her family grasped who she was and how she operated. So, you know, I had to think fast because she was only seven for crying out loud, okay? I already have a wife and two girls and then have to, three people that I have to deal with? Oh, all right. Anyway. So one of the things I was able to point out to her and and it's a good thing as a father to be able to track this. But one of the things that Allie did when she was little, there was no middle ground for Allie. When anything happened, if she stubbed her toe, it sounded as if someone was murdering her. Okay? If she bumped her arm, it, was nu- it went from zero to nuclear just like that. So I said, you know, to be fair, it is tough to understand you because when anything goes wrong, you're so emotional, we can't figure out what the real deal is. You know, what was interesting as her father was she dried her eyes, but you could see in her eyes she actually got it. And I said, do me a favor. If you can work on kind of channeling some of that emotion, we will work on trying to figure out what's going on with you. The next few months were really, really cool. As a father, I was pretty impressed because I could see her. I remember one time shortly after that, she hit something, and you could see in her eyes, the eyes welled up, and she was about to let loose, but she was trying her best to control herself. And I said, honey, I didn't say for you that you cannot cry. It's just that, not that you couldn't express emotion, but you've got to do it in such a way that we can at least engage. And she just said, dad, it hurts. And I said, you know what? I get it. You can come on and just sit on my shoulder and you can cry. The next few months and the next couple of years after that was just an exercise of us interacting with each other. Her finding an issue, getting upset, and, but sitting down and talking to, me, talking to me with it. And I had the wonderful opportunity of coaching her up. It really came to a head when she was in the fourth grade or something like that. She came home thinking, Dad, I... I just don't know what the deal is. This teacher is not treating me well. And because we had this interaction for a couple of years, I was able to say to her, did you talk to her? No. Well, why don't you do that? She did do that. Brave as she was, she did that. And then she came home about two days later, and she said, Dad, you know what? It turns out I was wrong. I completely misunderstood what was going on. What was cool, though, was that I could coach her up because for me as her dad, anytime she started to misunderstand something, it was a signal to me that there might be something missing in the communication and what she perceived to be going on. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, well, Dean, what does that have to do with anything? Well, 
for us Gateway, because I've actually been with Gateway from almost the very beginning. I was one of the first few families that were actually here. Remember, if you ever heard Ed talk about he was knocking on our doors, he knocked on ours. And that's how we came to Gateway. And I watched Gateway over the last 18, 19 years that we've been here. And we've done some great things well. Taking care of each other, not a problem for Gateway. Responding to God's sensitive, I mean, the things that God makes us sensitive to, not a problem for Gateway. The one area, though, that we have consistently not been very good at is being witnesses. And of everything else that we have, that is the standing mandate of everyone in this room. Jesus never relinquished that command. He never called it back. We are supposed to go and make disciples. And the way in which we do that is to be effective witnesses in the world that we live. Now, you, if you do the, a study of the Greek, the word go means not stay. So <laughs> that's the, the sum of the study, okay? It means don't stay. And, you know, God has a wonderful way of getting us going. In the early church, as we saw, he used persecution to move them out. When they wanted to huddle in Jerusalem, God brought persecution, and that persecution drove them out. Hey, look, we can't afford not to be good at this. We need to be those people who are willing to stand in the gap and to be the light for this world. And the reason why I know this is somewhat of an issue is because of some of the community meetings that we had, and the last one in particular. And so be with, I mean, just spare me, if you would, because I have the mic and you have no other choice but to listen. One of the things that I heard in the last community meeting, and if anybody was here at that community meeting, I'm not casting any aspersions at you. But a few times, even prior to that community meeting, I've heard us concerned about the project with the CRC, our Community Resource Center. I've heard us concerned about our size and our growth. And it was because we're so small and we haven't grown, it might be a reason for us not to take on this task. But I want you to know something very important. A couple of times during the series, Alex and I believe Bill and maybe even Ed, they made the point that what Luke is giving us is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, all he's doing is describing the things that went on during those times. He's not saying that this is what we should do. But there's one thing you can't miss, clearly cannot miss. The more they shared the gospel, the more people came to know Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? The more they shared the gospel, the more people came to know Jesus Christ. So for me, if our concern is our growth and our size, the question that comes to mind is, are we sharing Jesus enough? Because if we want to grow, that's all we got to do. We already saw in, in Acts what happens when we just get out there and get at it. God is behind us, just like he was behind Paul. In the, his providence, his protection, the priority of his message and the purpose, everything that we need, God has already got. All he's trying to do is set us loose to get done what he wants done. We cannot fail, but we can falter. So I want us to understand one very important thing. I may not say it a lot, but don't be surprised if I do, if I hear the the objection of our size and growth again, 
I will come back and ask about how much are we sharing Jesus Christ. Because that, for us, should never be an objection. Ever. It is too simple a command for us to miss. And we should never take it lightly. Because Jesus did what he did for us. And all he's asking us to do is share it with others. That's not that tall an order. Do you agree? Really? Okay. Now, I can't tell you or encourage you about doing something and not give you a reason to know that I'm doing it as well, too. So, last time I was up here, or the first time I preached in this series, uh, I told you that Eric Saunders came to me, and I'm thinking that I encouraged him. He put the challenge right back in my face. So our answer to the challenge is that we're going to go bar hopping. Bar hopping. Meaning we're going to go to bars. And we're going to try and talk to people. At bars. <laughs> with alcohol. Where people are not usually thinking very clearly. It's a little odd, don't you think? But you're going to love the reason why we're going to go with the bar. Because when I was talking to Eric, I asked him, because when he said bar, I was like, okay, why the bar? Because he said, when my life was about the bar, I could have used the light. How do you not say, okay, bar hopping it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know Eric's life. I know the impact that God has had on him. Not only that, I know the impact that Eric has had on his own family. And if I could be a part of bringing him along, i got to be all about it. See, that's what Paul, that's what happened to Paul. Paul was about destroying the church, not joining the church. And God sent Ananias to help him out. Now, God did a miraculous thing in blinding Paul, so when Ananias came around, Paul was very attentive. But you've got to remember Peter and Cornelius. And what happened to Cornelius and his family? And what about Philip and the Ethiopian? See, we get the joy to partner with God in the things that he is doing. And for us to miss this, it literally would be shame on us. It would be shame on us. So, I'm going to ask that you guys pray for us as we go bar hopping in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Because I believe we've tried mm, three different bars. One was closed, so that was real easy. <laughs> the last couple just did not have the atmosphere where you could really engage. Everybody was in their own little enclave. They just, nobody was really open. This last place that we found, though, it was pretty cool. It had this great big space where you could just throw darts. And we, we walked in the first day, and we engaged with people right away. So we said, we're going to post up here. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how it's going to work. But I'm going to be in the middle of it. If you happen to see me on TV for whatever reason, just know. <laughs> <laughs> just know, okay? All right. Well, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I hope you get the point. We have got to be about this. 
Because it won't matter what the CRC is all about if we're not about this. We are witnesses. This is what we do. This is why we're here. This is why we were saved. And this is not a hard task for us. You know, the one thing I can honestly say is that when you listen to people after messages like this, or I mean, I love the fact that my wife, Althea, she has been talking to a coworker because of an encouragement that I gave last year, and she's still maintaining that relationship. It's great to know your wife listens to you sometimes. But it's pretty cool when you actually engage. You know, one of the people that we met when we went to that bar was somebody I had known for a long time. I simply said, Bill? He said, Dean? Yeah, we shook hands, and he immediately, and I, mean, I don't know why, but he immediately started to share with me, you know, I just got a divorce, and like, dude, I was just here to find out if this bar was the right place to be, and now he's laying all of this on me. But I did get a chance to meet with him this week, and it's just interesting what his story is about. And that was just us trying to find a spot, not actually engaging the people. I don't know what God has in my story. But you got to be, I'm a little psyched that at least that first thing, God gave us an encouragement where I was able to engage with at least one person. And if it's only one person that I can share the gospel with and he comes to know Jesus Christ, you guys got to say amen that that would be worth it. Okay, last thing. At the end of our days, when we stand before Jesus Christ, what kind of testimony will we hear what will we tell him that we did for him? I mean, everybody, all of us is gonna, are going to gather in one large group to, to share, I mean, to just to extol Jesus for everything that he's done. But what will we individually be able to bring? Now, Paul winds up never leaving Rome, ever. He dies there. One of the last letters he wrote was to his protege, Timothy. Let me read this to you, because I think every time I read this, I'm just impressed that Paul is about to die, and this is on his mind. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Get this. And not me only, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can we bring such a statement at the end of our days? If we want the ability to make some kind of statement like that, we've got to start today. Gateway. We got the stuff. I can tell you right up front. I've witnessed it my entire time here. But we got to let other people know. And that stuff is Jesus Christ. We are his people. We are his witness. We've got to do our part. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time that you've given us. We pray, for, Father, for your forgiveness for those areas in which we have not been fully engaged in this. I pray, Father, that by these few scattered words that you would help to re reorient our thinking. 
I pray, Father, that you would give us a new fervor for this. We're reminded of the Apostle Paul, and he was singularly focused on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us this heart. I pray that you would help us to begin to see our world differently. Father, instead of being driven by our agendas and work and the needs for the children, Father, that we would see opportunities in every single one of those venues to be able to share who you are. You have called us for this task, and we are here for such a time as this. Bless and direct, I pray, as we commit this to you in the matchless and powerful name of our great Lord and Savior.